When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received the reconciliation. Father, send your grace to help us understand these words, Lord. Father, we ask that we wouldn't just read them, study them, but God, that we would live them. We thank you so much for this incredible love story that's found in the pages of Genesis through Revelation. It's your plan, your love, your sending your son and unfolding all these truths to us. God, I just ask that you'd bless them to our heart today. Challenge us, God. Shape us, mold us, make us more like your son. Through your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This morning we'll be looking at the idea, the topic, God's outpouring love, and it couldn't be more secure for you and I. This passage is linked, obviously, with the paragraph preceding it, with the word for in verse 6. I'll just read those words. For us in verse 6, for when we were still without strength. Hope we're okay. I think somebody had a tumble. All right. So Romans chapter 5, the first five verses are really emphasizing the theme of justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, and it looks at all the benefits of being justified. One of them is peace with God. Another one is access to grace. Another one is rejoicing in our hope for the future. All because we've been justified by faith. And not only do we rejoice in this incredible future that is ours, we rejoice in our tribulations. 
And that's not always easy to do. But when we understand the reason why we can rejoice in tribulation, it makes it a lot clearer for us. So we rejoice in tribulations because we know something that tribulations produce. There's no other way for God to produce endurance in the Christian life other than tribulation. As a distance runner, retired one, there's no other way to produce endurance than those long, agonizing miles, those grueling intervals on the track. You repeat them over and over and over, and you're developing endurance. And believe it or not, those times and those miles that you lay down, they're building character in you. Um, I was fortunate to run in a college, paid my way through school. I was kind of a loafer, got to do what I love to do, and they gave me a scholarship. But there was something different about the distance runners than the sprinters. And it was their GPA. <laughs> and it wasn't because of me. I, I didn't boost the GPA a whole lot of our overall. But the distance kids, the distance runners, were more disciplined. They knew how to go to class. They set a times to study. And we got the job done when we needed to. Because we'd learned at 5 o'clock in the morning, we could hear Coach Dooley coming down the hall. It was interesting. I was at Louisiana Tech, and my coach was, last name was Dooley. Y'all ain't from Georgia. <laughs> but Vince Dooley was the coach of the Georgia Bulldogs. And we happened to be the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs. But that year, I'm telling this for no reason other than just <laughs> because I don't know where I'm going right now. No, I do. Um, the Georgia Bulldogs had an incredible football team. And in the newspaper, there was always headlines about Dooley's dogs. And we would always cut them out. We would tape them on our doors early in the morning. And uh, so Coach Dooley, he'd be coming down with his key, and you could hear it tick, tick, tick coming down the hall. So we were used to getting up at 6, no, about 5, because a lot of us had 8 o'clock classes. But there was something different about that group. And as we developed character, character then gave us hope. When we would go to the starting line, we had hope that we were going to succeed. Because we'd put in the hard work, we had the character to get through those difficult miles in the middle of the race, and a lot of times we walked away with a little piece of hardware. Um, since we were the Bulldogs, Coach Dooley had all of us wear dog collars. <laughs> uh, we didn't wear them very often, if ever, but he got them for us. And we were supposed to put a diamond in the dog collar <laughs> every time we won a race. And so he was really excited about it. He was a, he was a strange coach. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Aubrey Dooley. My goodness. But anyway, those 
are things that happen in our lives that we can rejoice in. And then at the end of that paragraph, Paul says, Now we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, we glory in all these things. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God. That's God's love. God's love is shed abroad, poured out into your heart. Now, how does God do that? The Christian life isn't just head knowledge. It's experiential. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is fully God. And Jesus promised that he would send another comforter like him who would be with us forever and that he would not leave us as orphans. Orphano is the Greek word. Wouldn't leave us comfortless. And so we experience God's love in a real way, not just in reading the scripture, not looking and understanding what Christ did, but through the person of the Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit that is outpoured in our hearts. And then Paul begins on this incredible theme of the love of God that is just so incredibly surpassing anything that you and I can understand. And this is what he says about this love. In verse 5, he talks about the Holy Spirit being poured in our hearts where we experience the love of God. And then he says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Look at all those phrases. I mean, Paul could have just simply said, Christ died for us. But it is so complex, this love. Notice the word still. It's an adjective or an adverb. I'm sorry, it's probably an adverb here. But it's to emphasize duration. And it's also to emphasize the extent or the degree of something. And so God's love, the extent of his love, the degree of his love, was while we were still in a sinful state. And here's the amazing thing about God's love. God's love doesn't wait for you and I to earn it. It's not something that we have to wonder and question if I have done enough to merit God's love. It is while and it is still we are sinners that God pours out this amazing love for you and I. As humans, we tend to put so many conditions on those people that we show kindness to, affection to, and if they don't measure up, boy, they don't, they don't get the, the feedback. They don't get the, the love that that they, that, that they need. But God meets us exactly where we are. When Jesus found the woman at the well, he began a conversation for, with her, and he begins to pour out his love and his life into this woman through conversation. He doesn't say, first go get your husband, and then we'll have this dialogue. No, that's at the end. 
He meets her right where she is at, and he brings her along. And that's the way God does with us. It is unconditional. It's not based in anything desirable in us. And so when you feel like God doesn't love you because you've had a bad day, or you've had a rotten week, or you've just done something that you just really regret doing, you can be assured God's love didn't stop because it is undeserved. It's while we're sinners, God loves us. It's not while we're doing good. It's not while we've earned it or while we've merited it or we've had a great day and we've lived victorious. Now, those things are wonderful, and we should. But God's love can't be increased anymore by having done those things. And it can't be diminished any by the things that we don't do, that we should do. God's love is absolute pure in the sense that it is not motivated by anything that God hopes to gain through loving us. It is absolutely pure. Our motives as human beings, I don't think any of us, I don't know, there might be some exceptions, and there might be times when we just are so spirit-filled, but it's it's never us. If we do love purely, it's only because we are walking in the Spirit. And in those times, yes, we can love purely, but it's only a God who can do that. And it's only a God who can put that kind of love into our hearts where we love someone with no hopes of getting anything in return. That is godly love. The tax collectors, they know how to love those who love them back. And all of us know how to love those who love us back. But God's love is more than you and I could ever imagine. This is such a wonderful passage when you're doing counseling with someone who feels defeated, feels discouraged, and feel like, God can't love me. There's no way God can love someone like me. But God is love. That is who he is. That's his character. That's his nature. God does not put any conditions on us before he loves us. It's when you and I are without strength. That's when God loves us. Now, the word without strength is used figuratively here. It's not might or power in physical sense, so it's a figurative term, and it means morally feeble, morally impotent, morally sick. That's when God loves us. When you and I are morally sick, that's when God loves us. As Christ was sacrificing himself on the cross... That's when you and I saw the manifestation of God's love. And what was mankind doing while Jesus was on the cross? They were cursing him. They were mocking him. They were reviling him. They were challenging his deity. If you are who you say you are, come off the cross. 
And Christ was dying while he was loving you and I. That is our Savior. Second thing in this one little tiny verse, God meets us where we're at while we were without strength. Look at the next phrase. It was in due time. Now, if you got an ESV, it says at the right time, I believe. But there's no way to even translate this Greek phrase adequately. It meant really at the precise moment according. And there's two words for time in the original language. Chronos, which means chronological time, where we get the word from chronos. And then chiron, which means an event. It was at the exact event. History had come together at the exact moment. And this is where God's love meets you and I. It meets us right when we need him the most. The Roman Empire was the peak of debauchery. This mighty empire spanned three continents. And yet evil and sin was so vile in the Roman Empire because they had been influenced by Greek mythology and paganism and sexuality that was so debauched. And God said, I will love you right when you need it the most. And what about Judaism? Judaism was no better. Judaism had digressed into this religion of works, of self-righteousness, of piety, of a judgmental attitude, spiteful to the Gentiles. They thought they were better than everybody else. And here comes the Messiah of the world at the exact time in history. This is our God. And he still does the same thing. the exact time. The Jews thought they had a law that could give them righteousness. And Paul wrote this. He says, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been through the law. Galatians 3.21. And then he says, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then there would have been no reason for the second covenant. Hebrews 8.7. Those sacrifices which could never take away sin. They would have been once ended. But now at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is at the time when Judaism was so, so far away from the very heart of God. Greek philosophy and superstition and supposed enlightenment was no bulwark against the moral depravity. And the Roman Empire, like I said, it could not withstand the forces of evil. And Christ came when humanity needed him the most. So our God's love for you and I, it's like nothing you could I could ever imagine. It's not who we are, it's because of who he is. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. God has nothing to gain by loving you and I. And it's at the right moment he comes to us. And thirdly, who does he die for? 
He doesn't die for good people. He dies for the ungodly. That is our Savior. Charles Hodge was a great theologian of the last century, and he wrote this, Our salvation does not depend on our loveliness. It does not depend on our consistency. It doesn't even depend on our ability to love God back, but rather our salvation is based on the constancy of God's love for the ungodly. So, outpouring of God's love, it's more than you and I can understand. And the source of it is the Holy Spirit. And the first point is God loves you and I more than we can ever imagine. Because God doesn't wait for us to earn it. And secondly, God is demonstrably superior to anything we could imagine, verses 7 and 8. Man would scarcely die in the place of a righteous man or for a good man. I think those are just synonymous phrases. I don't think we have to get too technical about them. But verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. And I think Paul is simply putting that there for the contrast of verse 8. So verse 8 says, But God, He demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were, and here's it again, to that degree. This is the third time that word is used, already in two verses or three verses. We were still sinners. Christ died for us. And the word for, that little preposition for, it's the word that literally means in the place of, on behalf of. This is Christ. So God's love is demonstrably superior to anything you and I can imagine. Uh, it's hard to even do good things for people that you know aren't going to be thankful. But to think that we would do good things for somebody who's actually going to hate us for that good thing, that is God. There is no other place where His ways are so unlike our ways. His thoughts are so far above our thoughts and so far above our ways in the revelation of His love. To demonstrate, that word means to place things side by side together in order to teach us something. To combine thoughts for the purpose of exhibiting something or to prove something or to establish a fact. So in other words, God's love is commitment and action. He is bringing all these things together to demonstrate and to prove that God is real and God is acting on behalf of human need. His love for us is while we were yet sinners. Again, emphasizing the degree of God's love. To die in the place of someone else is one thing. But to die in the place of your enemy is divine. The second point, overall point, is our reconciliation is more secure than we ever thought possible. So, the outpouring of God's love, it's, it's just incredible. It, it, it should just stagger us today. 
And his reconciliation is also more than we could ever imagine possible. Now, Paul is sort of shifting between legal terms to more of a relationship term. So justification, we gave the definition several times in this series that it means God's acquittal of those who are guilt. It means taking justice and paying for it in full. So it's more of a legal term. And now Paul is subtly shifting to a relationship. Because it's not just that God is a just judge who's in heaven and he's going to justify sinners and God is going to remain just, but God is also a personal God who desires relationship. So he shifts from justification to the term reconciliation. Because you can be justified with somebody and still have no reconciliation. You could have paid the whole price for what you did, and they're still mad that you did it. And so what God does, he doesn't just pay the full price, but he restores that friendship. And so Paul now shifts to the word reconciliation in verses 9 through 11. Salvation could not be more secure. I was having a conversation with a man this week, and we were discussing this passage of Scripture. And I think what God has been teaching me more than anything else as I've been going through the book of Romans and talking about justification by faith through grace alone, it's made me understand how indebted we are to the goodness of God. If there was anything other than grace, we would never know if we were saved. We would never know if God truly loved us because his love is unconditional. It is unmerited. And I never, ever have to wonder, does God love me? I never have to question it. I never have to wonder, am I secure in my Savior? This is the way the Christian life is worked out with victory. This is how we live the Christian life with confidence. This is how we live the Christian life with assurance. Knowing that I am absolutely secure in Christ's work alone. I want to point out to you how many times Paul says much more in this passage. So let's just follow them together. The first one is in verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. And what's the much more? We shall be saved. Let's go to the next one in verse 10. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through death. The second half of that clause, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved. You see how secure our salvation is? It's much more than what Christ did on the cross because he is alive. 
Let's look at a couple more of these passages. Verse 15, we see another much more. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, what is God going to do? Much more the grace of God through the gift of grace. He's, Paul's wanting you to know this is how secure you are. If God loves sinners while you were a sinner and now that you're justified, how much more can we have confidence that God has got us in his hand? Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through one, here it is again, much more those who receive abundance of grace. There's no other time when this passage, than this passage where these, that little phrase is used than in Romans chapter 5. Five times in total. The last one is in verse 20. Moreover, the law entered in. And what happened when the law entered in? Well, then you could start keeping track of all the mess-ups of mankind. Oh, you did that? Oh, you lied? Oh, you stole? You looked at something you weren't supposed to covet? You could just keep track of it. And sin just started going off the charts. And God started marking iniquities. Well, thank God he doesn't. What does he do? The law was entered in and uh, offenses were abounding, but where sin abound, what did grace do? It abounded how much? Much more. That's how secure you and I are in Christ. So our reconciliation is so secure. It's more than we ever thought possible. Salvation couldn't be more secure. When you thought it couldn't get any better, God goes beyond what we can even imagine. Let's look at verse 9. Knowing that Christ... I'm in... Chapter 6, that's a good verse, though. <laughs> Chapter 5, verse 9. <clears throat> Much more than having been justified. You see, that's the legal act that God did. But God goes beyond just the legal act. You know what I'm thinking of right now? And I didn't have this in my notes. This has to be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> You remember when David finally called for his son, Absalom, to come home? He had been banished. And Joab, the general, comes before King David. He says, how long are you going to let your son live outside of the country? So David says, let him come home. I'm going to justify him for all that he's done. But the two of them were never reconciled, were they? For two long years, they lived in two houses. David had justified his son, but never reconciled. And this is what our God does. Having justified us by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath through him. We don't ever have to face the great white throne of judgment where God's wrath is poured out because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. This consolation is based on having been justified again 
But in verse 10, he describes, he gives the reason why we don't have to face the wrath of God. He gives us the reason with the word for. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The friendship is complete. Salvation from future wrath is certain. Enemies are reconciled through death. Even to a greater degree, we will be saved by life. Christ ever lives. We never have to doubt that. But this man, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever. What does he have because of that? Our Savior has an unchangeable priesthood. What is the result of that? Because of this, he is able to do what? He is able to save us to the uttermost, to those who come to God by Jesus seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.24 So this present reconciliation, it in itself is enough to rejoice in. Verse 11. And not only that, but we rejoice in God. We do that through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one that we have now received the reconciliation. We have an unbroken chain throughout this chapter. It begins in verse 1. Having been justified, we have peace. Having peace, we have access. Having access, we rejoice. We rejoice in tribulation. And now when we, here we see that we have absolute assurance of his love. And now we have access that we are absolutely secure. Our salvation can never be doubted. And so one of the things that peace does for you and I is it causes our hearts to be at rest and untroubled by the things around us. Because you and I are justified, we have an incredible hope. This morning, Brother Keith came in and we were chatting, and he shared with me, I was dumbfounded. He said that a young teenage man in Canada, in a school, protested about their bathroom situation. And he simply said, there's only two sexes. It's male and female. And then he quoted a Bible verse. And the young man was arrested. My mind began to swirl. Anxious thoughts began. My stomach started to get sick. I'm thinking, what has this world come to? Have we just lost our sanity? Where, where are we going? 
I thought of our God. Our God has everything in control, and you and I have been justified, and we have peace with God. Jesus said this in John 14, 27. If I mess it up, Doug, you might have to help me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. In other words, there's a difference between the peace of the world and the peace of Jesus Christ. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So we have peace today with God. We have access to grace anytime you need it. I don't know what temptation you are facing. I don't know what trial you are looking at. And you're thinking, I cannot do this. You have access to grace in which you are now standing. You have been saved by grace. You stand in grace, and you have access to grace. When Paul prayed three times for the thorn of the flesh to be removed, God came back and said, my grace is sufficient. For my power is made strong in your weakness. And Paul said, I will therefore glory in my infirmities so that the power of Christ might rest on me. And you and I have that same access. It wasn't just written for the Apostle Paul. It was written for you and I. His grace is sufficient. And we rejoice whatever circumstances come our way because God is changing us one trial at a time to make us more like Jesus. We have constant access. We rejoice in every circumstances. God's love is poured out on us even when we're sinners. And if he loves us even when we're sinners, how much more is he going to reconcile us through the life of his son? If we were justified by his blood, even more we are certain that we will be saved by his life. Because our Savior, he ever lives to make reconciliation for you and I. So this morning, I hope that this encourages you that God's outpouring love could not be more secure for you and I. I love this old song by George Beverly Shea and he said I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold I'd rather have Jesus than a vast domain than to be held in our Savior's hand you can have it all because none of it will give you peace. None of it will give you access. None of it will teach you how to rejoice. None of it will tell you for sure that God loves you. And today you are so secure in him, much more than we could ever even imagine. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the divine Holy Spirit who took the pen of the Apostle Paul and just guided him and breathed through him these wonderful truths for us to live by. And I thank you that the Holy Spirit is here today to shed abroad in our hearts, to reassure us and to teach us that God loves us beyond what we could ever imagine. And our security is so 
unapproachable by anything that we are in the Father's hand and nothing can pluck us from that. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.